Without ever taking the time for an intimate conversation with the one who loves them deeply. When we spend time in prayer and seek the things he desires, we experience an incredible closeness to God. I touched on this the other night in Bible study. We all have our ways of how we go about praying. And it's usually to ask for something. But to just try and have a conversation with God. And not ask Him for anything. But to just pour your heart out to Him. Uh, to thank Him and praise Him for all that He's doing. And uh, try to go that route in our prayers. I think would be beneficial. And that's, that's what this lesson is talking about. You know, when I pray, I pray. I never ask for anything. The only thing I ask for is to watch over us. And I know he does that each day. But he knows our heart, brother. He knows what we need. And he takes care of it. He said he would, you know, he said, I'll take care of your every need. Not your every want, but your every need. Exactly. And as a good father he is, he gives us some of our wants. And that's, that's the way I've always took it. Yes, he does, that's for sure. The question that they ask here at the beginning of the lesson is what are some of the biggest ways electronic media has affected your life? This made everything instantaneous. My Bible's All you have to do is, is get on your smartphone, those that know how to use it, yep. and you can access Anything. Your Bible, anything. Google, uh, text, uh, all the different avenues that you can go on that. So it's, it's made us, I think, somewhat, I don't want to say the word lazy, but everything is so convenient now that we don't have to really put forth any effort to, uh, to do anything. And prime example, can anybody remember having a TV that didn't have a remote control Amen. <laughs> where you had to get up and change the channel. Crank the channel. That's a long gone. Go ahead, Ronnie. Oh, I think I, I hope I didn't forget what I was going to say. But, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, man did this, man did that. But all knowledge and all wisdom comes from God. So he gives us these things as we progress, you know. If he gave them to us all at once, it would befuddle everybody. But he gives each person that develops these things the capacity to know how to do it. You know what I mean? That's the knowledge. And the wisdom is knowing how to use it to, to, to go ahead and make it. Yeah. Uh, all of it comes from God. We're in John chapter 17, and this is a prayer of Jesus. Now, this is a, a sequence of events that take place beginning in chapter 13. And let's talk about John's gospel for a moment. When I first got saved, I didn't know where to start reading in the Bible. And, of course, you would think Genesis, but Brother Orby told me that Begin reading in the book of John and read in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. 
Because the book of John will give us a more intimate, detailed version of Jesus and who he was. If you want to learn about Jesus, uh, read in the book of John. Now, John's gospel is unique from the other three gospels because it contains much material that is not found in the other three synoptic gospels. In most of the manuscripts that have been discovered, it is the last of the gospels to appear. And that the last, that John was the last of the four gospel writers. Since John was the last living apostle, it's possible that he wrote to include material from which he had first-hand knowledge that was not recorded by the other gospel writers. With that in mind, John 17 is one of those passages that the church should be grateful, John, recorded for future edification. Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 does not occur in isolation within the text. It is part of a larger group of narratives and discourses that include preparations Jesus made as he neared the time of his crucifixion. These preparations begin in chapter 13, and they reach their climax with this prayer Jesus offered on behalf of his disciples. The first preparation, way back in in chapter 13, uh, Jesus made was to wash his disciples' feet and share the Passover meal with the disciples. Interpreting it in light of the coming crucifixion, that's chapter 13. This led to a discourse about Jesus' identity and the coming of the Holy Spirit after his departure. That's talked about in chapter 14. Jesus then spoke to the disciples about life after his departure, encouraging them to view themselves as branches connected to a vine, which represented Jesus. Uh, John chapter 15. Jesus then began to speak about the hour of his departure and the sorrow it would cause the disciples. That's in chapter 16. Now, in light of that hardship, Jesus turned to the Father and began to pray for his disciples in John 17. He aligned his heart to the Father and prayed that his disciples would also align their hearts with him. It is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in any of the gospels. Where did he pray this prayer? That's a question that we might have. It was either in the upper room when they had the Last Supper or it was in the journey when they, after the supper, walked across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere in between those events is when this prayer took place. We're not sure if all the disciples heard the prayer, but it's likely that some of them did. Jesus may have prayed this prayer as they walked 
He may have prayed that prayer before they left to go to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. But it's not given us in Scripture. Let's go ahead and read this. And I, I want you to notice something here. Jesus refers to God as the Father. All throughout the Old Testament, God is referred to as the Lord. The Lord God Almighty, Yahweh. It's a rare occasion when God is referred to as the Father. And this is, this is proof here of Jesus' deity. Because he, what he petitioned God the Father for, glorify your Son. We know that God doesn't share his glory with anybody. So this tells us here that Jesus is deity. If someone would like to begin reading verses. That's what I'm saying. Jim? John 17, 1 to 5. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, that the glory which I had with thee before the world was. This is an incredible prayer, and try to imagine all the teaching that the disciples had received up to this point, and then to hear Jesus speak with God the Father in this way. You would have to be blown away. We want to pray when we pray, or when we pray. Now what this is, uh, Jesus has given us a Bible here, but what we want to pray when we do is pray for God's glory to be seen. Uh, Jesus looked up to heaven to pray, and that was not an uncommon uh, thing to do. That was a customary posture uh, for prayer in that time. He addressed God as Father, and he would continue to address God as Father throughout that prayer. He acknowledged to his Father, who had designed such an amazing plan of redemption, in eternity past, this plan was discussed between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as to what was going to take place. God, knowing all things, knew that man was going to sin. Pardon me, because if I don't watch out here, I'll get way ahead of myself and paint myself in a corner. That now that the hour had come, 
what are we talking about there? In God's plan of redemption, Jesus was a gift from God the Father to all believers. The hour has come is not a reference to a day or a time, but it is a spiritual time that has come for Jesus to go to the cross and to fulfill this part of the plan of redemption. Yes, Jim? It's when we read this particular prayer, it's unique by virtue of the fact that John's Gospel is written to establish the divinity of Jesus Christ. Everything focuses on that. Christ at this point in time, when he left heaven, he had to leave behind his Shekinah glory. Yes. Because scripture tells us no one can look at the face of God and live. Exactly. So what he is asking in this prayer is, Lord, restore, Father, restore to me what I gave up. And that was the glory of the of the divine presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is another this is another one of those bricks of evidence in solidification of the fact that Jesus Christ was divine. Divinity was necessary because divinity had been sinned against. And the only way for the reconciliation to occur was to have an equal type of sacrifice offered again. And Abraham is the one who established the prophetic basis of the sacrifice when he was he was sacrificing his son Isaac in obedience to the command of God when Abraham said, God shall provide himself a sacrifice. Amen. And wasn't it too, Jim, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness? Correct. And the belief in God was when Abraham goes ahead and says to his two um, servants that went with them, My son and I are going up into the mountain to worship and we will come down again. Amen. That's establishing the fact that Abraham has put his full trust and confidence in God, Yahweh, to fulfill the promise that Yahweh made to him that Israel would be blessed through his seed. Amen. 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 Glorify your son. This is not a selfish, self-seeking prayer on Jesus' behalf. It's a realization that his death was going to be the very thing that would bring God glory. Jesus was the obedient dependent Son of God fulfilling the plan the Father had set for him. In doing so, the Son would glorify the Father. God gave Jesus authority over all people. This includes the power to give eternal life to his followers and the right to bring judgment against those who continue to live in their wickedness. And that's talked about in John chapter 5. John's gospel is full of references to life being in Christ. God gave authority to the Son to give eternal life to everyone you have given Him. The Son is the agent of the Father, and He saves all those God has given Him. 
Eight, four times in this prayer, Jesus describes Christians as those given to him by the Father. The Father gifted the world with Jesus. And God gifted Jesus with believers. That's to not to say that God's election works without being related to humanity's responsibility to believe. Without God's grace, none would be saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 teach us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus defines eternal life as knowing and having a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Know here means an experiential relationship rather than an intellectual knowledge. You can know about God, but the most important thing is, do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? It's always been the example, everyone knew who President Trump was. If he walked in here, we would all recognize and know who he is. But would he know you? Probably not. And that's the relationship we want, that God the Father know us through the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the, the importance of this too is the relationship with the one true God. Jesus describes himself to his Father as the one that you have sent. God sent his Son not to condemn the world because it was condemned already, but to save the world through him. Jesus was praying for God to give him the strength to finish the task he was sent to do. As Jesus dies on the cross, he was fulfilling God's plan of redemption for the world. And notice how this is worded here. It's in the past tense, as if it's almost, as if it's already accomplished. Jesus had a confidence that he would fulfill what God had sent him to do uh, on the cross. Jesus asserts that he had glorified his Father by completing the work. John, more than any gospel writer, emphasized the pre-existence of Jesus. Jesus looked beyond the suffering of the cross to the glorification that would be his when he had completed all that his father had commanded him to do. He was ready to complete his task and return home, return home to heaven. While Jesus hung in agony on the cross and died for us, who did he have in mind? All of us. That where he was, that we might be also. Amen. And that is a reference to heaven. Jesus wasn't talking about that you might be here with me at the cross. This is a reference.
reverence to heaven. Jesus prepared for his assignment by having the discipline of prayer. Jesus prayed for strength to finish the task, and Jesus prayed that he would finish the task so that those who believe in him would have life. Let's go ahead and read some more verses. John, excuse me, 17, 21 through 23. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know thou hast sent me, and hast loved me them, as thou hast loved me. You want me to go ahead and read the other? Yeah, go ahead, Tony. Okay, brother. John seventeen twenty four to twenty six. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Our glory, our righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them they, thy name, and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. When I first read these passages, and I, I read them before, but to study for this lesson, you have to really slow down. And take a moment between each statement that Jesus is making here to get a grasp of what he's saying. And uh, it was the only way that I could uh, try to get some understanding of it. Pray for unity with God and among believers. Jesus first prays for himself in verses 1 through 5, and then for his disciples in verses 6 through 20. Then in verse 20, Jesus expands his prayer to include those who would follow him in the future, declaring, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. What's that talking about? That's talking about what was the Great Commission? That go the disciples go out and tell the world this gospel message. Jesus is praying here that others will believe the word that he's given them authority to preach. He's asking that prayer for future believers. Go ahead, Robert. Now you said disciples. That means us too. It works that, that way today. Once we've been born again, we're to go and tell. 
My wife likes her way too. But anyway, I was going to say that once we're saved, we're in dwelt. God tells us to study to find ourselves approved. That's mean get into the Word and get the Word in us. Then, when we go to testify, the Holy Spirit can bring it forth to us. And we just go ahead and testify. It just feels so easy. In this relationship that we have with Jesus... Hmm. What, what's important? We have to nurture that relationship. We can't come on Sunday morning and throw the Bible on the front seat of the car and 
pick it up next time. Yeah. I'm we have to try and live. We are dependent on God to help us and guide us in, in all that we do. Now, if you want to go ahead and walk your own course like you used to, how'd that work out for you? So we have to nurture uh, that relationship. The source of unity for Christians, it is not in their worship styles, church structure, or experiences. Unity comes through a relationship with God through Christ. The, Jesus continues to pray, declaring that he had given them the glory you have given me. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor for bringing many sons and daughters to glory in Hebrews in chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10. As believers share their story, they participate in the glory the Father gave to the Son. Unified believers give testimony that Jesus completed the work of His Father. Why did Jesus give this glory to his followers? He wanted them to be one, as he and the Father are one. Mm. Christian believers may seem insignificant, but by uniting around the message of the cross of Jesus, they are of critical importance in giving witness to God. It's undeniable. I mean, like the little peed over here, and I'm, I'm insignificant in a big crowd of people. But it's undeniable when each and every believer has their story of how God sought them out and saved them. There's great power in that. It's an incredible witness. Like the song says, there's power in the blood. I am in them, and you are in me. In the Old Testament, when God became the God of the Israelites, He was with them. He was in them. Yep. How can the people of God not be united when the Holy Spirit dwells all true believers. Jesus revealed to the disciples at the Passover meal that he would soon be departed. He promised them that God would send the Holy Spirit to come and to be with them and to indwell them. The Holy Spirit, as we know, is the third member of the Trinity. He was as much God as Jesus was. Jesus is in his people through the Holy Spirit and God is in Jesus. So this should make it certain that they may be made completely one. Does it make sense? You see how that all fits together? Go ahead. When you pray to God, basically, you don't want to leave nobody out. But the thing is, is when you when you pray to one... You've prayed to all. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You see what I mean? What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? 
He's at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for us. That's right. What is the Holy Spirit involved in any of this? The Holy Spirit is within us. He absolutely is involved in it. Yes, sir. Because when we know not what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us Amen. in utterances that can't be be known. Right. I know I know I didn't word that right. <laughs> but the idea is the Holy Spirit He's intercedes there. for us in prayer when we don't know even what to pray. That's amazing. Amen. Jesus reiterates the purpose of unity was that the world may know. One, a unified church helps the world have an experiential knowledge that God sent Jesus. Jesus came to earth as the Son of God on a mission to redeem the world. Amen. And a unified church gives the world first-hand experience with that. The word know here is the same as in verse 3, which indicates more than an intellectual knowledge. A unified church also witnesses to the fact that God loved them as you have loved me. In Jesus' redemptive act, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And exchange took place as Jesus bore our sin and we received his righteousness. The world must see that because of God's great love, Jesus was willing to die to bear our sin. Paul said that God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Romans 5.8 Jesus prayed that the world would see God's love pictured in his son's death on the cross. Mm-hmm. What was one of the last things Jesus said on the cross? One of the last things was said, into my hands I or into thy hands I do. He said, Father, It is finished, actually. Father, forgive them. Amen, for they know what they did. The unity of the church is grounded in a relationship with God through Christ. The unity of the church is a dynamic witness of God's love in Christ. And the unity of the church demonstrates God's purpose. In sending Christ and His love. Amen. Does anybody have any questions? No. Those are pretty good. When we pray, it's real easy to go through the motions. Yeah. I've done that too. In fact, we kind of hurry it up sometimes. I know I do. I speak of myself. I'm not directing this at anyone else. Amen. But the spiritual discipline of heartfelt prayer is not limited to a private quiet time. When scripture certainly tells us of many people praying in their prayer closet, we also find numerous accounts 
describing believers who gather together for prayer with one mind, one heart, and one purpose. God's people lifted their prayers up to God. When we come on the altar here to pray for someone that's going to have a surgery, for someone that has been sick, there's great power in that. Amen, brother. I would like to see us do that more here at the church, at this building. Yep. We used to do it quite a bit at the other. Jesus shares his glory with his people, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. But this was not simply so that we would possess his glory. His glory is to lead to our unity. That they may be one, even as we are one. We are to join him in praying for that unity. One of the key things that points others to God and brings him glory is when we as children live together in unity. This is unity the world needs to see. Prime example. When the church... We used to make pizzas and stuff. And now, we're doing those lunches on Saturdays. That's a picture of unity. All the people in that kitchen going around like bees on honeycomb. Nobody telling anybody what to do. It's a beautiful thing. Go ahead, Ron. My brother-in-law, Caleb, went with us one time to a, when we had our church picnic. And he looked at me and he said, you know something? I don't hear nobody arguing around here. And I was like, you won't. <laughs> That's the point I'm trying to make, Ronnie. Amen, if you get a bunch of people that don't know the Lord yep. and would try to do something like that in there that we've been doing on Saturdays, I would like to record. You like that? Because I guarantee half of them would be walking somewhere to get out of doing it. <laughs> Some would be arguing about yeah. why do I have to do this? Why me? This looks easier. You know how it would go. How easy it is to get into yeah. it with people uh, when you try to do something. But when you do it under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you see the unity. And that has always been a picture to me. And what a blessing to, to be a part of that on Saturday morning. Amen. That's a blast. And i got this couple minutes here. As we grow in our relationship with God, we will have an intimate relationship with Him. Amen. Our heart will become one with His. And as we've seen, our prayers will focus on His glory and seek unity among believers. As we see in verses 24 to 26, when we pray like Jesus, those prayers will also include the desire to make His love known to others so that they can experience it as well. And eternal love exists between the Father and the Son, And Jesus' prayer was that the love wherewith thou hast loved me 
may be in them and I in them. We will care about what He cares about. We will care for the people He cares for. We will align our activities with what He is doing to reconcile, reconcile the world to Himself. We'll begin to have the mind of Christ as we grow in our relationship with Him. We'll see things as He sees things. We'll have compassion towards people and an empathy towards those that are less fortunate. You know how easy it would be to say, hey, I'm in a warm house. I've got groceries in the cupboard. Can't the government help those people out? We can't, we can't have that kind of mindset. We have to have the mind of Christ and a willingness to, to move out and step out when we're called and given the incredible privilege to make a difference in the world as God's children. I thank you for your time. Thank Stay you, Pete.